the most important lesson. Anger doesn't give you an edge, it blunts it. Make your adversary angry. The madder he gets, the more chances you have he will make a mistake. One mistake's all I'll need. Let's try again. We should do this more often. All right. Welcome to the Highlander Rewatch podcast. Uh, Great new theme song we have there, inspired by Innocent Man. Uh, we are your hosts. Um, I am Keith. Kyle. Eamon. Uh, so we're about to get into episode number five, which is called Freefall. This aired first Saturday, October 31st, 1992. It was directed by Thomas J. Wright. He's the guy who did the pilot. Uh, he did another episode in there. Also, No Holds Barred. I'll, yeah. also, I'll give that a plug again. If you haven't seen No Holds Barred, Watch it. Go find that movie. It's a really good movie. Um, Hogan's magnum opus. Right. Um, it was written by Philip John Taylor. Um, I have a couple notes on him. He was the uh, story editor and writer on the Zorro TV show. Oh, uh, he, d- like he does the- make the sign of the Z, so that's yeah. good. And so I, I remember watching that show as a kid. Um, and I remember in this area, it was on the Family Channel. Yeah, everything huh. good was on the Family Channel. I think it was 29, 28. The know. Mario Brothers TV show, Zorro. Yeah. Not at all. Um, but he did a lot of other stuff. Mork and Mindy, he did an episode of The Hulk. Um, he's done a lot of episodic TV, but he hasn't done anything since the late 90s, so... Damn. He's retired, maybe, or uh, something else? I don't know. Um, Let's go with retired. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, the guest stars in this episode are Joan Jett as Felicia Martins and Jay Brazu as Commissioner uh, Kaminsky. Um, he's been in, like, a ton of stuff. I don't yeah. think I could pinpoint a single thing he's been in, but that's that. he's, like, one of those great TV character actors that appears in everything. 240 IMDb credits. Wow, that's a lot. Not as much as uh, the the country bumpkin on right. our last episode. Like but over 300. Yeah, he's the biggest so far. Right. I feel like we're getting into Highlander Endgame territory. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and talking about like everyone's power level. Their IMDb, ah, uh, over over 9,000. <laughs> uh, over 9,000. So uh, the episode description uh, for this, uh, according to IMDb, after a naive immortal leaps to her death from a skyscraper, she seeks out McLeod as her mentor. But this innocent student may not be what she seems. Mm. Indeed. Well, it starts out with Richie at the antique store, right? Which he seemingly is now allowed to run by himself. So they, they put a lot of faith in this. Yeah. We're, we're, right. I, I, I guess Richie. he's been with them for a while. He's gain some trust sure yeah um and i noticed well it opens with him like ragging on the people that are leaving and he's like oh, mm-hmm. I need a bunch of cheap skates yeah and then he turns on some music and he starts not some music he turns on cherry bomb cherry bomb by joan jett <laughs> Sorry, so I so richie starts like cleaning a uh, a picture which right i know i i had to rewatch this a couple times he's cleaning the map that later becomes ah uh. An integral plot point. <laughs> yeah. Which also, it should be noted, the dance he's doing during that, he's doing this weird, like, butt-shaking dance. It kind of looks like 
either like Bart Simpson or maybe if you've seen Adventure Time, the dance that the baby version of Finn does. He's doing like this weird butt shaking dance wearing a black and blue polka dotted shirt. <laughs> it makes no sense in and of itself. Oh, also something I have in my notes that I can't remember if we talked about in the previous four episodes, but it had to do with the opening credits that there's this big explosion at the end of the opening credits, which is not from the TV series. Sorry to change subjects real quick. Yeah. Uh, so there's like a bunch of karate moves and then pff, big explosion. That's from Highlander 2. Wow. The explosion itself? The explosion itself, which huh. I don't mind. I think it's actually used really to like great effect, punctuates the opening credits really well, but it's actually not from the series. It's from Highlander 2. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing not to go off topic. The Batman cartoon used to like loop, <laughs> loop good explosions into the episode if the explosion wasn't good enough. Uh-huh. So maybe they took a page from Highlander. Probably. I don't know. So anyway, there's kind of this like montagey sort of thing. Richie's cleaning, doing his butt dance, doing the butt dance. We, we're intercutting with Joan Jett, who is like in a cafe, mm-hmm. and she starts freaking out, and she's like clenches her fists, and there's blood. I want to say something about that. She's smoking in a cafe. Could you still smoke in cafes in the nineties? Oh Absol- yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she doesn't look like she's enjoying it. She takes a drag of the cigarette and she's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which her voice tells a different story in terms of her relationship with cigarettes. But (laughs) that being said, no, you could... In most places until the 2000s. You could absolutely smoke in pretty much all public Definitely in Seacover. Yeah. Yeah. Which Seacover has its own rules. Maybe its local ordinances explicitly allow cafe smoking. So she ends up leaving the cafe and she's really confused. Like, or she just, like, is looking around and randomly. Seems concerned. Yeah. Uh, So she wanders around the city. She messes her hand up with her nails and gets, like, bloodied up. uh, And then ends up outside the antique store. Mm -hmm. And I thought this scene was great because she looks at the, like, she's at the window. (laughs) <laughs> to the antique store. Oh, God. She reads the sign. It's like, It just says antique store on the, the front of the window. Then she goes inside, and then she's like, she says to Richie, is this an antique store? And he's like, that's what the sign says. Like, she was just inside reading the sign. Yeah, I don't get that. That's really weird. It's the an, whole, odd, an odd choice. The, an odd choice. Maybe op- Joan Jett can't read. Or just <laughs> Felicia, her character, can't read. Uh, yeah, the whole opening of this seems a little... Like, it's, it's very padded, I guess. Like, yeah. We just need to get into the plot of this. We, we just need to get 43 minutes. Come on. <laughs> well, Richie also sees her come in, and he looks her up and down, oh. and it is gross. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, hits on her really hard. Like, as soon as she comes in, really lecherous. It's not <laughs> great. And also, can we just pause for a second to talk about how old Joan Jett must be? Because uh, Richie's supposed to be, I guess, 17 or Yeah, eight. Richie's 17. I had notes on this, too, because, uh, spoiler alert, later they kiss. And I was like, wait, how old is Richie? He's 17. And Joan Jett was born in 1958. Hmm. Yeah, Which doesn't and- mean Felicia was... I mean, obviously, Felicia is, as we find out later, older than that. Right. But uh, right. She, She's 34. At this point. Okay, at so this she's point probably exactly double his age. Yeah. If he's 17, actually double his age. Mm-hmm. Is that illegal? Yeah. No. No. Wait, it's not illegal to kiss a 17-year-old? Well, no. Also, m- most places, the age of consent is like 16. Hmm. Most places. Not not all. We don't know what Seacouver, what state it's in, or <laughs> what their laws about, you know, sexual assault are. But that being said, <laughs> uh. this is probably fine. Also, Richie may be 18 at this point. 
That's also, true. Maybe he had a birthday. He's been there for, I think I have... He says one. six months. Six months, exactly. Yeah. So he could be 18 now. Richie's birthday doesn't warrant an episode. <laughs> the, Richie, the very they, special Richie birthday episode. Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't give an episode to St. Arnold's Day. Well, they did, sort of. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Uh, Wait, we also find out that Richie made up his middle initial. Yeah, so he gives Felicia a business card, which he just got, and he gives her a business card, and it says Richie H. Ryan. And then she's like, what's the H stand for? And he's like, ah, he got me. Nothing. I made it up. Does it stand for Highlander? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Richie Highlander Ryan. So anyway, he... In this exchange, he notices that her hand's bleeding. He's like, oh, what's going on with your hand? He's like, let me get a Band-Aid. McLeod must have a bunch of Band-Aids. And then he makes a joke, like, really big Band-Aids because yeah. he gets cut with the sword. But hmm. uh, So anyway, he goes to get Band-Aids from McLeod's office. And when he comes out, Felicia has bailed. And so she, she's still been, like, disoriented this whole time. She says that, like, I've never even been in this part of town before. I don't know where I am. And it's worth noting, she's being followed by somebody, she thinks. We're, right. we're led to believe that there's like some black car. Yeah, there's a car. There's yeah, this black car with somebody in it. We don't know who. And I I was I, I had to rewind a couple times to be like, does she notice that this guy's following her and that's why she goes into yeah. the store? I my conclusion was she's not aware and she just randomly goes into the store. I read it differently. No, I read it that she knew really? she was being followed and that's why she was stumbling around. That's that's how I read it. But it doesn't make sense because like the car is in different places than she is like you don't know that she's going to be an immortal so like spoiler but it doesn't make sense but that's how i write it that she knew she was being followed that's that's how i took it well also in the context of the episode you know that her going there isn't random because as we find out later she is in fact an immortal there's no question that her going to the antique store is intentional I suppose there's a question of whether or not she notices the car, but that would be a very good explanation for why in this moment she chooses to make her move and go into the antique store because she's looking for McLeod. Felicia leaves. There's a cut. And then the next we see of Felicia, she goes into an office building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which on the way there, (laughs) just to tie back into when we talked about family ties and how they were just around, walking around basically filming randos on the street because they couldn't afford to pay for extras. I had the same feeling about the scene when she's walking into the antique store because there's this scene of her throwing her purse into a fountain. Right. And all these people around being like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) And it looked so organic. Like, maybe this, again, was just another spontaneously filmed scene on the streets of Seacouver, Vancouver, (laughs) wherever they are. She goes into an office building, and then she gets in the elevator with what I can only assume is like a mentally ill person. (laughs) And and the only reason I say this is because the first thing this mentally ill person says is, that's a really pretty dress. Beautiful outfit. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It is not. It is this hideous, like, (laughs) pink and black outfit. So then there's a cut, and Felicia's getting off the elevator in, like, her skivvies. She's just wearing, like, lingerie. Some weird lingerie. Like, really, like, super sexy lingerie. Not that sexy. Let's be clear. It's sexy lingerie. Uh, The lingerie (laughs) is sexy. (laughs) Uh, But she's given her her clothes to this woman woman because she thought it was pretty. So she's like, oh, here, you take it. So she leaves the elevator. Also, like, Joan Jett is super buff. I yeah. Think. Like, she is, like, really built. Well, one thing about this, as she's leaving the air, uh, the elevator very faintly, you can hear the woman say, do you have shoes to match uh, as she's leaving? I miss that entirely. And I then, miss that, too. 
as she walks by some office dudes, some shitty office dudes, he said he sees this like you know woman in lingerie walk by. And he's like, oh, there is a god. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. Which boy? His that man must be very depressed in his day to day life. So she's in this office building. We find out for the the purpose of jumping off it to commit suicide. So she leaps to her death. She lands on a car. Oh no! She they throw a, a dummy off a roof they and do. and it lands on like a toy like matchbox car. No, the, I thought the stunt looked pretty good. Other than the, the, the dummy oh the dummy yeah, but well, the dummy, they like it looks like they zoom down in on like a little toy car. No, that, I thought it looked really good. I thought it was good. Agree to disagree. When she falls, when the when the stunt person falls in the car, it's good. That yeah. part is good. The exactly. dummy, not good. Not you, dummy. Yeah. You think that's the same dummy in uh, the Gathering? I bet they reuse that dummy a lot. Yeah. Can we, uh, does that hey, dummy have look. an IMDb credit? <laughs> <laughs> the falling dummy from Highlander. <laughs> um, so she falls on the, the 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 car, and we see that the 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 person following her in this this black mysterious car, he gets out, and we see him for the first time, and he kind of looks like a ripped. Dave Grohl is kind of his general appearance. Lots of like sleeveless tees yeah. and like weird. I wrote down that he looks like Serge Tankian from uh, System of a Down. I was like, oh, it's a lead singer <laughs> System of a Down. He looks like he belongs in a Renaissance fair, honestly. Yeah. So he gets out of the car. He's got sleeve- a sleeveless tee, and we see that he's got a sword. So again, the, the, the mystery is kind of building. It's like, oh, what's the deal with this, this woman? Mm-hmm. She doesn't know where she was. There's clearly somebody after her. We know from the, the context of the show that he must be immortal. So I think that this is like a, a decent setup initially. It's like yeah. you don't know what's really going on. Sure. Uh, something. They, they do like 10 cross dissolves between like the ambulance that she's being loaded into and this Dave Grohl character. Like it just keeps going back and forth. Like they refuse to let you forget that Dave Grohl was watching mm-hmm. this going on. Yeah. So as a side note, that building we find out is 700 feet tall hmm. uh so i looked up like how tall is 700 feet uh the comp we're, we're here in philadelphia the comcast tower is 900 feet tall and, and that's the and tallest that, building in this city that building is fucking huge yeah. this isn't too far off from that so she jumps from like an insano height like this is a really big building so how isn't she like just a like elio's pizza exactly i have written down goo balls good, good she should be goo balls <laughs> So they take her away in an ambulance, and they're like, they have a like a oxygen mask on her. They're trying to like revive her. Yeah, this person is dead. Like, yeah. there is no way. Well, well that's I, a good I mean, question. Immortal though. Well, I, I, I buy that an immortal's body would keep together from falling from that height. Oh, I I would buy that it would keep together, but I guess I. I guess that's a question I have about immortal bodies. Mm. <laughs> um, Okay, so you jump off a what was it seven hundred foot, foot building? building? Which, if, like, if you assume that each story is maybe twelve feet, it's like a fifty-eight story building. So, like you're saying, the immortal's body just doesn't break down the same way when it hits the ground, or like if it's goop, like does it reinflate like an inflatable mattress? <laughs> like that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm just assuming it does. I'm willing to completely accept that it just doesn't become goop. Oh, mm. Like I'm that's fine. that's I'm fine, fine that it doesn't become goop. I think my only contention is that she was alive in the ambulance. Like nobody's like, what? The... Yeah, I think she would be dead for a pro- prolonged period of time before she had like her like reawakening. No, I get it. I get it. Immortal. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But as we find out later, she is already immortal. Right. So, we but don't, I mean, there's still like, but, isn't there downtime? We don't. I yeah, mean, that hasn't really been established. 
I guess that's true. Oh, like, we really uh, don't know. Yeah. Do immortals actually when like hit the moment of death? Hit the moment of death. Otherwise, okay. We don't know hmm. that. That's true. I, I'm. I agree that it. You know, obviously doesn't follow the rules of physics, but that's really not what the show's about. No, that's fine. And you're right. Actually, I didn't think about that, that in the context of the show, that hasn't been established yet. I feel like later, spoiler alert, the mortals do, like, die. Like, flatline? Like, if they if they get shot, like, they die and then are, like, <gasps> miraculously, like, come back to life. Um, but that doesn't seem to happen here. Yeah, and who knows if they're more resistant to that, depending on what the nature of their injury is. True. In short, suspension of disbelief. This I think this is okay. Yeah. In the scheme of things. Uh, I just I want to see an immortal inflate. That's that's like, all that's I'm really saying. That's really what this is like, about. Like the, yeah. like the end of Roger Rabbit? Yes, exactly. <laughs> a, a, a Judge Doom scenario. That's or what like I want. The guy who plays Newman in Space Jam. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Space Jam. Okay, so in the next scene, Duncan is leaving like an auction or something, and he's just bought this Matsumune sword. Right. That cost him a, like a ton of money. $200,000. Yeah. $10,000. No, $200,000. Yeah. Okay. $200,000. So a whole lot more than that. A ton of money. And so, yeah, one of our commenters did mention the pronunciation of this is... It's Masamune. Yeah. And not Matsumune. But he also pointed like, out... Like matzo ball soup. Hey. Well, in the, in the first Highlander movie, I think Sean Connery says Matsumune yeah. also, which is also wrong. Probably right. So, but I guess there's a continuity. Like Masamune is like a famous like Japanese swordsmith. He's like almost mythical. Right. Like, and he's in all the Final Fantasy games, all the like RPGs. They have Masamune swords you can equip. So it's like for swords, it's a big thing. Right. Yeah, and I guess I mean I guess in the taking this thing on its own terms, it can be its own thing. Sure. Yeah, there could be yeah. a sure. separate Matsa. Related. Yeah, Matsu Mune. Yeah. Uh, so they get back to the antique shop with this sword, and I have a clip here. This is one of the strangest bouts of dialogue in the whole series. Uh, so I'm going to play that. Yeah, to me, this all feels like real be Like, this feels like I'm watching The Room. It's really disjointed dialogue. It's like this whole thing is so odd. Uh, so let's play this now, and then we can talk about it. This blade is 500 layers of carbon steel. It's a work of art. Personally, I prefer a Cezanne landscape. But of course, you can slice bread with a Cezanne landscape. And then again, I suppose you won't be using that as a bread knife. Dialogue. <laughs> Good afternoon, Commissioner. McLeod. Miss Noel. Now that's a nice sword. How much was something <laughs> like this sent me back? It's not for sale. It's a hell of a way to run a business. Wah, wah. Are you here in an official capacity or simply to ponder the vicissitudes of the antique trade? Vicissitudes. Well, we do have a dead woman down at the morgue. <laughs> Aren't they usually dead? Or do you sometimes make mistakes? Oh. She committed suicide off a downtown office tower, 700 feet, real mess. A she downtown office tower. If I was planning to end it all, I could think of a lot cleaner ways. Why come to me? Oh, she's a Jane Doe. No ID, nothing, fingerprints, even her teeth were perfect. Oh, however, we did find this stuff down her boob. On her person. Mm. Five foot four, brunette, real looker. Does that ring a bell? No. This is so intense. Yo, Mac, I'm just gonna... What'd I do now? Uh <laughs> 
There's a there's a lot there's to a un- lot going on. There's here. a lot to unpack here. Which first off, who the hell is this character? Okay. Where's Where's Powell? Yeah. All right, so Powell is now Powell is now gone. I assume. Yeah, and he's replaced with like a nerdy white version of himself, who's just it's, the commissioner. Right. So he and like Duncan clearly knows him. He's like, oh, hey, commissioner, and he knows them too. He's like, hi, McLeod. Hi, Miss Noel. They have had some sort of past together. Yeah, but it's why replace this character that you've built up in the first four episodes? I don't just know. Maybe he randomly moved on, moved on to other stuff. Also, like spoiler alert: there is a string of replacing these sort of like police characters. Yeah, with other actors, it's like, oh, first it's Powell, now it's this guy, and then it's someone else, like whoever they can get for like a four episode stretch. How can it be this hard to lock down somebody for a recurring character, though? I don't. That's know. really what I don't understand. So there's a couple things that happen in this scene that boggle my mind. First is uh, Duncan is like, "Do you want to ponder the vicissitudes of the antique business?" Mm-hmm. When I watched that, I had to rewind it a couple times. I was like, "What did he just say?" And then I was when I found out that it was like vicissitudes, I was like, "I don't know what that means," because I guess I'm not smart enough and for for the Highlander crowd. Yeah, exactly. So that's an insane vocabulary word to drop in the middle of what amounts to be a Saturday afternoon action adventure romance show. Yep. It's like I didn't know that. I had to look it up. So it means a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. And it's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. But it's like the exchange these characters have. It feels like it's written by someone different than wrote that wrote the episode. Like the commissioner's there because he found this business card that's stuffed down her and he's a very thick Canadian accent. Boot. And I had to I had to back this up a couple times because I was like, oh, did he say boob? And then I bound, rewound it and I was like, oh, he says boot. It's boot. Oh. He's but then I rewatched the whole episode again and I was like, wait a minute. No, I don't think it's. That's true. He does say boob because uh, then he corrects himself in front of Tess. Right. And he's like, oh, that's not like the most like PC thing to say. He's like on her person because uh, like she gives him like a kind of a nasty look. And he's like, oh, not down her boob on her person. So I D- think down her breast. Right. So <laughs> I think he does say that. Also, when I was watching this and having like a complete mind fuck about what this this dialogue was about, I was like, wait, like down her boot. Then I rewound the episode. I was like, she's not wearing shoes when she gets off the elevator. So she doesn't have shoes. So either it's a script error or he said boob. He says down her he says boob. boob. He, says he says boob. That's the answer. She says boob. Yeah. So that's he, allowed. I guess. It's just what, a weird boob? thing. You can't say boob on TV, can you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely can. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, the, he's, like, looking for answers from then. And I guess Richie knows who this person is. Right, because, yeah, she has the business card that's from the antique store. Richie comes in. He's like, oh, what happened? Then we cut to the morgue. They have Richie there to ID the body. Mm-hmm. Of course, the body is gone. The reaction to a corpse missing from the morgue like, I feel like, I don't know, in our age of bureaucracy, maybe that happens sometimes. But, like, Duncan and Richie just leave immediately. Uh, guess you don't need us. And the commissioner does not seem that upset. No, and Duncan's reaction is really weird. Again, like, as a running theme in these early episodes, like, Duncan has this disdain for the police. Like, he's, yeah. like, such a smartass with them. He's like, tsk, tsk, tsk. He's like, body's not here. We're bouncing. Like, right. And then they leave. And you think a missing body in the morgue would... Peak Duncan's interest being an immortal. Yeah, yeah, you might. He might start to. 
put the pieces together himself. It's like, wait a minute. Immediately. Yeah. And also, you'd think, like, somebody would be freaking out because if you work in the morgue and you've misplaced a body, I imagine someone's getting fired. Right. Someone is losing yeah. their job over this. It's like, oh, you misplaced a corpse. It's a pretty big deal that is not met with much reaction. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, this family's going to sue us or, like, <laughs> we've created a public health emergency because <laughs> there's a corpse somewhere. And then, like, the, the morgue guy, I don't know what the term is, is he's on the phone with somebody and he's like, I keep telling you the body's missing. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's misplaced somewhere. Right. It's like in the, it fell behind the desk or something like, oh, it dropped off. So then the, the, the guy in the, the, the black car, he shows up the guy Mm -hmm. from like the death metal band. He shows up and he's like, Devereaux. Devereaux. We We learned his his name, name, but he's Dave Grohl. So he shows up and he's like, where's the body? And it's gone. And he freaks out that it's missing because he's there to take the head. Yeah, which also, by freak out, you mean he backhands this morgue employee mm-hmm. unconscious. Yeah. Like, and then, with a backhand, just... And, and then, done. Then, then takes the sword and, like, chops at the well, table. When he, yeah, when, he opens, dangerous. when he opens the drawer out, there's a, a sheet, a bloody sheet, that obviously doesn't have a body under it. And he lifts it up with the tip of his sword, like he's holding his sword by the <laughs> hand, which Duncan says is a no-no later in the episode. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know, Devereaux, you need to work on your sword handling skills. But he lifts this sheet up with the tip of his sword, but there's no way in hell a body could have been under that sheet. It, I don't know. It bugged me. And he, like, freaks out. Like, yep. Yeah, he really uh, he has a temper problem. Uh, so the next cut we get is Richie is on rollerblades listening to a Walkman and he's skating around he's skating up to the antique store but then it does this like interesting POV shot which I thought was really great so he spins around on his rollerblades and it cuts to a POV and it then zooms in that Felicia is like there yeah. and she's all like bloodied up and mm-hmm. stuff but then it cuts inside uh, and Richie's talking to, to Tess he's like oh like they didn't have that thing that Duncan wanted or whatever. I'll have to go back there. It's a book she was waiting book. for. Oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. book. Um, and then Felicia walks in all bloodied. And he's like, holy shit. Like, what happened to you? Yeah. And so to me, this is like a giant, especially since it was what Thomas J. Wright that directed mm-hmm. this, who's clearly like a decent director. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like they cut to a POV that showed Felicia, which me like translates in film terms as... Richie's riding rollerblades. POV of Richie riding rollerblades. The camera stops on Felicia. He saw Felicia. But then on right. the inside, he's like, oh, who are you? Like, what happened? Right. Like, and it's like, no, th- those two shots don't line up. Uh, that really bugged me because I thought the rollerblade shot was actually really great. I was yeah. like, oh, it's a cool way to reveal it. And it was actually kind of like creepy. Like it was like a very, yeah. like horror movie sort of shot. Like it was like a whoa, like. It definitely makes you think he's going to be coming into the antique shop with her. Yeah. And when he comes in alone and he didn't also, he didn't notice this bloody person standing like not yeah. very far away yeah. from him. Not to mention this person who he's like smitten with. Right. And has seen before, but just a bloody human wearing mm-hmm. like these loose fitting hospital garb. Right. So they, they end up taking Felicia in and then Tess and Richie end up having like an argument right. about taking her in. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It is amazing. Well, Tess is upset because she's like, don't you know who Duncan is? Like, he's immortal. You can't bring a stranger into this house. Well, uh, this is another issue I have with this is like, it doesn't like cue in on her radar that maybe this person who she was told jumped off a huge high rise is still alive. Like, for either of them. Both yeah. of them are like, oh, but what? 
Yeah, and it's like, there's, it's they seem surprised. It doesn't occur to either of them, like, this that person they, might be immortal. Yeah, they're just like, oh, like, I think she's, like, full of shit. Like, right. whatever her story that she's spun is, isn't true. Other than the most obvious answer, which is that she's immortal. Which they live with every day of their lives. Right. Uh, so we're going to play a clip right now uh, where Richie is talking about why he wants to, to bring her in. It's, it's amazing. I didn't think. That's the problem. Sometimes you don't think. What? At least not with your head. Oh, Tessa, come on. <laughs> I'm young. My libido's in meltdown. Richie, <laughs> the whole world can't revolve around your hormone levels. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Which also in meltdown, doesn't that seem like it's gonna like does that mean it's gonna explode or that it's like collapsing in on itself? I, yeah, I'm that, not really sure. I didn't really yeah. catch that dialogue and how to, like that plays out. I it doesn't think. make sense. Yeah. And also we should talk about the costumes again. Because Richie is still at this point, a, a full day hasn't passed because Richie is still wearing this black and blue polka dotted shirt. And Tess is still wearing this absurd, like, <laughs> shin length sweater. It looks like a sweater. That's like a weird dress that has, like, lots of triangles. Yeah, ketchup yeah, and, and mustard like, colored. Like, yeah, it's like ketchup and mustard. <laughs> I guess it's like, the, it like evokes, like, some kind of, like, fire imagery. Yeah. It is weird. Also, this is. It's got, weird... like, military buttons yeah. almost. A weird note I had that was Tess was smoking, which I thought was weird in the scene. And yeah. I was like, oh, like, maybe a, a little kind of divorced from this time period now. Mm hmm. Now living in 2015, where we don't usually see people, like, smoking too much on TV. Right. Uh, it was, like, a little. It took me back a little bit. It's like, oh, she's she smokes. Like, I don't remember that in the show. I don't know if she ever smokes again. But right. I remember that just being like an interesting thing. Also, like watching it as like detailed as we watch it, it's like, oh, Tess is a smoker. Like, uh, well, the other not thing, just smoking. Yeah, another not thing, just I... smoking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> it wasn't that good. Tess is like not sympathetic towards this person who's obviously been severely injured at all. Which I'm fine with. That seems like a rational response to me. When you think that, like, other immortals are trying to murder your basically common-law husband, I kind of think that's okay that if you're she, very if susceptible, like, skeptical of this person. If she, if I was given the ind indication that she thought this person was immortal, then I get that. I guess that's true. She doesn't seem to put two and two together right, right. for unknown reasons. But then, like, Duncan walks in at this point. And is yeah, well, he presumably has his uh, immortal Spidey sense going by this point. Which, maybe not, because they play the immortal Spidey sense sound when he's, like, six feet from the door. Right. Or, no, like, he's at the door. He's, like, six feet from her body. So, one of the things I was wondering when I saw this, was this just, like, a poor choice? Like, had he already gotten this Spidey sense outside, and for some reason they played it again, just the audience would Probably. be cued into maybe. it? Or is... What we were supposed to think at the time, at least, is there some connection between, like, the power and age of a, an immortal and when you get, like, the spidey sense that they're near. Oh, so you're saying the older and more experienced you are, you can sense immortals better than you can? The if... older and more experienced the immortal is, the easier it is to sense them from a distance. Oh. Like, their power, like, just taking this episode on its own terms and what the characters know at the time, and the fact that Duncan seemingly gets this sense right before opening the door. 
if we're supposed to think this is a new fledgling immortal, maybe that's when he gets the spidey sense because this person's not that threatening. They're not that powerful. Hmm. Could be. Yeah. Which I guess later things that happen in the episode kind of disprove that Mm. because she obviously is, she is an older immortal. Right. So maybe that's not correct. But that's what I was thinking kind of in the moment. That's an interesting way to like think about it, though. I kind of yeah. like that. It's like yeah. Like a, it's a sense or like a skill that you can kind of uh, work on, maybe? Yeah, you or? can hone a little bit. And yeah. Well, something that's kind of tricky in this show just kind of throughout is trying to discern what exactly you get when you have a quickening with someone. Because there's this notion that you absorb someone's power and knowledge and things like that. But that's never really all that concrete in terms of what actually happens, and that could be a manifestation of that. Like, that could be a way to put some more objective terms on this concept. So Duncan is coming in. And he senses Felicia. He, he goes into the room, and she's asleep. Right. And he's like, I'm Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod, in mm-hmm. like a very thick Scottish accent. She wakes yep. up. Uh, she reveals, this is the first time we get her full name. She's right. like, I'm Felicia Martin, Martine. Martins. Martins. Uh, from Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Hey. Yeah. Our hometown, ladies and gentlemen. So the way they shoot this, it's revealed that like Duncan has his sword. Like, and he's hiding it. He's hiding it the whole right. time. Well, here's my thing about this. Um, so she's an immortal, and this is like a scheme she's running. She's taking a huge risk doing this. Like, who's to say he... Wouldn't just come in and chop her head off right then and there. While she's asleep. Right. Yeah, I, I guess. Or at bare minimum, she has no sword. Like, he's just going to win. She's unarmed. Like, he could literally just walk into the room, say, you know what? This is part of the game. Like, I don't want this person in my life. I'm just going to chop her head off right here. Right. Yeah. I, Though, my guess is Felicia's whole scheme requires a certain amount of planning and a certain amount of effort, which would probably lead her to know that this is not the way Duncan plays the game. Which I doesn't make so. sense. I, I, I think she knows who Duncan no, is. No, I mean, like, that makes sense. Like, what you're saying makes sense. But in the context of, like, what happens, like, how, how does she know anything about Duncan? I'm not I sure. got the impression that she's been following him for a while, okay. right? Because later, there's a whole conversation between her and the man who was following her, Devereaux. Right. Where she reveals that she's in town to hunt Mac. Like, that's why she's here. Right. And so, also, even Devereaux is like, he's here? Like, the Highland right. is here? Like, so, let's, I, I let's don't know. talk like, about that yeah. in a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, but in short, this is like part of a larger hunt. She's probably been doing some research or following him. Who quite knows, but she's got some intel. Right. 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 So we then cut from there, and Duncan has like a conversation with her about being immortal. And he explains to her what the game is. And so there's a couple things that go on here. I'll play a portion of this clip, and then we can talk about it a little more. And then this feeling took control of me. And next thing you know, I was in this room talking to Richie. You see... It's only when we die that we become immortal. Maybe the closer you came to that time, you instinctively began searching for someone who could help you. But I'd never even heard of you. I mean, you make it sound as if we're linked together in some way. We are. We're linked and locked for all time. You're putting me on, right? Okay, 
So in the course of this conversation with Felicia, she reveals that she had these desires a couple months ago, three months ago, that she wanted to commit suicide. But she was brought up that it was a sin and she couldn't. But she finally does it. So Duncan has this hypothesis that maybe because you are immortal, you were drawn to the antique store to find help because I'm here. This is a very strange set of rules that is, I want to say, is never revisited in the series. No. I don't think so. I don't remember it. But it's interesting. That no, would kind of make yeah. sense because Duncan can, in fact, and does try to assist her. Yeah. But also, right. you know, she's already immortal, so the whole thing is bunk to begin with. Yeah. These aren't right. actually the rules. No, they're not the rules. Uh, it's an interesting, like, take on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after Duncan explains to her, like, the rules of the game and that sort of thing, Felicia ends up noticing this map. It's the same map that Richie was, like, cleaning off right. at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's a Cornelli map of London. Uh, and Duncan's like, oh, like, you know your maps. And she's like, oh, like, too bad. It's a fake. Right. And so there's this big, like, red flag thrown up. Like, how does she know it's a fake? Like, what is the deal with this woman? And she 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 chalks it up to maps were, like, a hobby of a mine. A hobby. A goddamn yeah. ancient maps <laughs> yeah. are a fucking hobby. Yeah. Like, it's so glaring. Like, well, if I'm surprised Duncan doesn't just, like, take her head off <laughs> yeah. in that moment. I was just thinking, that, like, ugh. Well, to be fair, like, of all the map makers, Coronelli's probably one of the most well-known. So if you if Are you, you speaking of real knowledge here? Or? No, I just looked him up. <laughs> yeah. he's He's a big map guy. He has a Wikipedia page. And it's pretty extensive. <laughs> yeah. So as far as map guys goes, I guess as map guys goes, <laughs> he's, know, he's a good map guy. Yeah. So then we cut to the death metal guy from System of a Down. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like benching a lot of weights. Right. And then he gets up and he's wearing like this insano, like bright yellow mm-hmm. cutoffs, and- which it's followed by this insane shot that is just like, He's got like a mandolin or like a viola or something that's in a glass case that I guess he brings with him places. Wherever he goes. And then they shoot him staring at like an impressionist painting through the glass case. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. So, yeah, I think he plays the viola. Yeah. In a later Later, scene, you see him. But there is a mandolin in that case. And there's also like a French horn. So he's mm-hmm. like he's set, got an instrument collection. Yeah, I yeah, guess. he's supposed to be like a musical, which dude. he takes with him from country from, to country. I guess. Uh, so also, like in a past life, I was like a musicologist, so I know what the <laughs> music was that he was playing. So he was playing box uh, partita number two. He was playing the last movement of that, the fifth movement. I don't know if this was chosen on purpose. Bach wrote this for his wife as a dedication. Ah, like when she died, or just just as a dedication? As a dedication. Huh. Uh, so, Later, that kind of comes into play. Yeah, that comes with his into character. play. So I wonder, kind of, if that was chosen, kind of on purpose. Also, it's a very Might famous be. piece of yeah. music. This is like one of the most like famous pieces of violin music there is. Sure. So anyway, then there's this flashback. So he looks at this painting, and it's like it looks like a Renoir painting or something. I should know this having gone to art school. <laughs> if, I think it's a Renoir. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell the painting itself. I was trying to figure it out. I put Manet as like yeah, a, could be a thing. I don't know. If anybody knows it. Right to us. It's some like gobbledygook French impressionist like painting. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, there's this flashback and there's a woman singing. She's singing like some French lullaby or country song with a baby. With the with a baby, and so Joan Jett interrupts this scene. Uh, she's trying to do a French accent. It's not 
the best in the world. And she's Feliz Martin. Yeah, Feliz Martin. So this is like her, I mean, the same way Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod is Scottish. Felicia Martin is from Philadelphia is really Feliz Martin mm-hmm. uh, from France. She interrupts this thing. She ends up getting in like an argument with this woman. Uh, she's there for revenge and she drowns this woman. Like, she says for revenge, but do we ever find out for what? Nope. No, not really. So she's just there, and she's got some plot. For drowning reasons. Yes. Well, we should mention this woman is Devereaux's wife, and the baby is Devereaux's child. child. Yeah, adopted child. Right. Uh, So Joan Jett drowns Devereaux's wife, who's the the death metal guy. And then when she's done drowning the woman... She's like, oh, I forgot about the little one. And then and then it cuts. And it's like, oh, so I guess she goes and like drowns a baby. Yeah, and like yeah. murders a baby. So like she's like bad news. Very yeah, bad but news. That's, that undersells it. She's the worst human we've seen on this show so far, basically. Two things about this flashback I wanted to bring up. Um, one, there's a filter over the whole thing to oh, make yeah. it look like a painting. And it looks like shit. <laughs> And also, how is Devereaux having this flashback? He wasn't there. Yeah, like he, it's presented like it's his memory, but right. he is not present for this. Like, this definitely isn't his memory. Right. I guess at bare minimum, yeah, he's, he's imagined that that's what this would happen. So potentially she could have murdered his wife and adopted baby in a much nicer way. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. He imagined the worst way possible, mm-hmm. which is drowning babies. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty rough. It's kind of interesting that they reveal it in this way, that this has happened, right? Because at this point, there's been no character development for this Dave Grohl character at all. No, he's a mysterious character. And at this point, he seems like a rage machine. Like, all you've seen him do is, like, try to find her body and then freak the fuck out and, like, attack an inanimate object. Like, this makes him sympathetic, but nothing he ever does is very sympathetic. He's like a thug. In this whole episode. Yeah, like, I have some notes on this later. I want to delve into this a little bit later. Yeah, but at uh, this point, it's like some random unsolicited character development happens yes. here. Uh, so then we end up cutting back to the present, and we're in the antique shop, and Joan Jett is hitting on Richie way, way hard. Yep. Um, I guess we should just play the clip of this. Yeah, it's disgusting. I think it's, that's it's, probably it's pretty gross. Disgusting is an understatement for the sexual encounter these two are about to have. What? I mean, lying there naked, with all those guys looking at my body. Ugh. Yeah, must be kind of weird. She's talking about being a former model. Turn me on. Problem was, there was nothing I could do about it. Ugh, like bone. So how long have you worked for Mac? About six months. Mac really cares about you, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he does, in his own screwy, medieval way. What about Tessa? Tessa? Tessa's... Tessa. Um, sometimes I think she wishes I'd never moved in, and then other times. No, I meant McLeod really loves her. Oh, yeah, he's wild about her. <laughs> Man, that must be great to have somebody so crazy about you. They'd do anything for you. It happens. Is she genuine about that wish? Hmm. No. If you don't kiss me real (laughs) soon, I'm going to be very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Richie, 17. 
more than enough of that yeah so i mean this this should be like on cinemax at like 2 30 in the morning mm-hmm. or skinemax yeah instead it's just like saturday afternoon fun times yeah like this the noises richie makes do not belong on public television they don't belong on any television let's <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that. so you brought up a good point that is he seventeen here? Maybe he, that's at like, oldest he's eighteen. But, at oldest he is eighteen, yeah. Because right. he says he's been there six months. He was seventeen when he started. Yep. So maybe he's eighteen now. Ooh. I don't know. But this whole thing is like super creepy. Uh, it's creepy on it's like kinda creepy already. Like but then that she's like hundreds of years old. <laughs> Makes it extra Yep. Extra weird. Yep. Also, just I just want to pause to talk about something that this series does that this episode really encapsulates. They can't stop telling you that people are attractive. Like they can't not just point it out over and over and over again. Like even Kaminsky talking about a corpse is like she yeah. was a swell looker. This dead body that I saw once. Obviously, television's a visual medium. They don't just right. let you observe characters being attractive like richie has to repeatedly comment how attractive she is and like so does every other character in the show and it's just not very organic yeah no it's weird duncan and tess end up interrupting like their makeout session yeah they're like hey like let's go to the store like and joan jett's like oh yeah i forgot we were supposed to go shopping so they leave to go shopping and then the renaissance fair guy Devereaux, mm-hmm. he shows yep. back up at the antique shop because she's he's been stalking Joan Jett the whole time. Right. And so he shows back up and he's like, where is she? And he confronts Richie and he's like, I don't know. And this this is something I took a big note of that it bugged me. Again, maybe because we're watching this really in a detailed fashion. Richie denies knowing Felicia. He's like, I don't know who that is. And he's like, I promise. He's like, truth and honesty are my middle names. And this fucking pissed me off so much. I wish he didn't say truth and honesty. I wish he just said honesty. Because then he'd be Richie H. Ryan? Exactly. Right. Because then he would be Richie H. Ryan, and it would be this great, like, very writerly thing to do that he doesn't know what the H stands for on his business card. He just thought it sounded, you know, really really great. And then later he figures it out, and he's like, oh, no, it's honesty. I thought that would be a great way to to write this dialogue, and they don't. Yeah, they really just miss it. Yeah, that's uh, a, it's a missed opportunity. Another yeah. thing that bugs me about this whole sequence is just that Devereaux pulls up as soon as Duncan, Tess, and uh, Felicia leave. No immortal Spidey sense. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, Duncan should have sensed that Devereaux was approaching. Devereaux was there. I, was, I was willing to grant that like it happened just a little offset. Sure. So like he still needs to research. He's like, she's here. I know she's here. What's going on? Where did they go? Right. Like maybe some time passed. When yeah, we don't know up. for a fact yeah. that it was. Obviously, it's what we see, but like right. power of cinema. Yeah. Uh, so Devro shows up. Richie and Devro get in kind of like a little scuffle. Right. Uh, Devro ends up dropping his wallet mm-hmm. while he's in the shop. Which can we talk about how cartoonish the notion that he drops his goddamn wallet is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just like kind of plops out of his pocket. Like it's just like oh, a plot device fell out of my wallet. Right. <laughs> that being said. I feel like just in terms of how they play Devereaux at this point, it's feeding into kind of the notion of the over-the-top villains you have so far. 
He's a little larger than life. Obviously, he's like this ripped killing machine, seemingly. I want to delve into this. This is another writerly thing that is driving me nuts about this episode. So not only is that weird Richie H. Ryan, mm-hmm. like a little bothersome, but that's a very small detail. Sure. On a larger scale, structurally, this episode, I, I, I don't understand. It, again, seems like two different plot devices. So we've got Felicia, who they show in that flashback is not who we, we she thinks she is, because clearly she's immortal, right. and clearly she's a bad person. Mm-hmm. So as the audience, that, that presents a certain amount of tension for us because Duncan doesn't know and Richie right. doesn't know that she's bad, but the audience knows. And it's like, so like, don't, don't go in that room, Duncan. Like that sort of like, uh, like tension is at play. Like, right. We, we know what's going on and Duncan doesn't. And we're worried about Duncan. Mm-hmm. But then they have this other character, Devereaux, who is presented from the beginning as a bad guy, a bad guy. And right. we think Felicia is this innocent person and Devereaux is the villain. Mm-hmm. And so the tension from that is that like, Oh no, like she has this person hunting her and she doesn't even know. And like she's good and he's bad. These two things are existing together in the same episode. And I think that's really problematic because they've essentially spoiled the fact that she's a bad person. Like, right. When, when, when Devereaux confronts Richie, I'm like, well, of course he did. Like, he needs to find her and get her because she's a terrible person. And like, right. she needs to be like, murdered or I, I guess like, mm-hmm. like i mean it's highlander so that's the stakes exactly right but i mean like devro at that point like it's ruined that devro is the bad guy right and so all all the tension is lost in this mm-hmm. episode with devro after they reveal she is villain so they needed to pick one or the other like right we didn't know. see well they needed to just stagger the timing i guess even we, just we, re-editing we didn't, this. we didn't need to know that uh, Felicia was a bad guy till like the very end of the episode. Right. And they'll be like, oh, I get it. But like, right. they, as soon as they show that she's a bad guy early on, the tension with Devereaux is like, it's gone. Like, I mean, he's he's honestly the good guy. Like, he's basically saving McLeod and Richie because right. he's there to take out this person that clearly is there to hurt them. So Adrian Paul is like, I'm going to train you. He's going to help her because she's new to the game. She needs somebody to tell her the rules, and she needs to learn how to fight and chop people's heads off. Yeah, so they go to, like, the dirt warehouse. Yeah. Uh, which is from the first episode, which I actually really liked that they go- went back there. I was like, oh, this is, like, Duncan's, like... Dirt warehouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Duncan's, like, special training place. Slash sure. Dirt warehouse. He talks to her about, like, make like techniques to, mm-hmm. like, win fights. And one of the techniques he talks about is making your opponent angry. And I thought that was interesting just because Duncan is essentially teaching her a technique that she's ultimately using against him trying all, to all along. Wildly ineffectively. Yeah, it doesn't really work. And we'll get into that later when yeah. all all her plot is like revealed. So they have they have a, I think a decent like training little yeah. montage. I think it's kind of fun to see Duncan like talk about swords it is. and he's like, this is how you attack, you attack with the weak part, defend with the strong part. And I it's it like cool. Adrian Paul just looks really good. Like he knows what he's doing. You said it, brother. He, yeah, <laughs> he, looks, <laughs> he looks great. <laughs> but he looks very comfortable in this setting. Yeah, it's a. He seems like a calm, like hand at the steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. Short. Like he seems like a good teacher. And I know nothing about obviously actual sword fighting, but he makes he it looks any, good. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't say anything that's like patently absurd. No, so I, I honestly will, even will say like. Well, I'll, I'll say first that Joan Jett is not the greatest actress in the world. But I actually thought oh. I, oh. <laughs> I actually thought she did a 
good job, or, or at least her acting worked well in this scene where she played like the naive pupil. Yeah, and this scene and it was like, like, oh, what do right. I do? And like, I thought it came across really well. This is probably her best performance in the episode. <laughs> yeah, hands down. Also, yeah. I like that Duncan makes her attack him before teaching her how to hold the sword. <laughs> also, it that should be like a puzzling order. It should be noted that Duncan has given her to train with. The Matsumune sword. Yes. The $200,000 rare 500 layer of carbon steel sword that he bought. Yeah, and at, at a later point, I think we, we cut to them later training, and she gets all pissed off that she's not doing well, and she, like, slams the sword against, like, a steel beam, and I was just like, what are you doing? Like, right. don't treat the sword like that. Like, she doesn't seem to have a lot of respect no. for her weapon, which I think, I guess, mirrors... Maybe her character a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, also, in this in this scene, we do get a new like rule, or maybe a new not a new rule, but a clarification of a rule. Um, so Felicia asks, "What happens if I win the gathering?" And Duncan says, "You will get unlimited power." And I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah. But in the ga- I think in the gathering episode when they're laying out all the rules to test, Connor says something along the lines like, "Whoever wins will rule the world." Yeah. Yeah, which I guess is not that different. It's saying, not it's not too different, but I definitely think as Kyle, you mentioned during the, the gathering episode, like as you said, I don't want Connor to be my president. Like that that doesn't place them the immortals in like a very good stance here. Like it doesn't make them seem like good guys if they're no. all fighting to kind of control us all. So like I think this is the first time the writers are maybe backing off of that idea a little bit. Let's like let's like lessen that sort of like they're gonna ro- rule all humanity and it's like maybe they have unlimited power. Whatever mm. that means. But yeah, but you don't necessarily... You're not, like, dictator of Earth for... Yeah. Right, right. Um, and as we go along, I think that's even going to get defined a little bit differently still, mm. if my memory recalls. Duncan gives her the Matsumune sword, and he... Uh, oh, and he imparts that all knowledge and strength is given through the quickening. Right. Which also, I think, is the first time we actually get defined what the quickening is. Right. I don't think it's made clear that you get... Some, like, that's a question we had in an earlier episode. Like, you know, would Duncan get Felicia's pin number if right. <laughs> her head got chopped off? Yep. Um, so we cut, and Felicia's in bed, and she is she finds the wallet. Mm-hmm. She point. finds the fallen plot coupon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the plot coupon. <laughs> <laughs> so she finds the wallet, and she pulls out, like, Devereaux's ID. Mm-hmm. So I had to pause it a couple times here because I was looking at Devereaux's ID. And again, maybe I'm getting way too deep into this, but I was like, what kind of ID is this? Like, Wasn't it, like, really big? Oh, it's, like, half a page. Yeah. Like, half an 8 by 11. Uh, so I was like, wait, what is this? So, I, again, I know they shoot the, sh- the show in Canada, so I'm starting to look up, like, Canadian driver's licenses, Canadian, mm-hmm. Canadian like, state IDs, uh, Canadian passports. Like, wondering, like, did they... Use one of these as their inspiration. No. Ah. If, if you're from Canada or visited, like, please let us know what Devereaux's ID is, or else it's just a bunch of complete nonsense. Like, it is this giant, essentially, it's a giant wanted poster. Right. <laughs> this episode. So she's like, oh, Devereaux, I know Maybe where it's he lives. his immortal ID card. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she knows where he lives. So then we cut. And we get to be inside Devereaux's apartment, uh, and he's playing the violin. Again, we establish that he's, like, a musical immortal or whatever, uh, uh, which I guess fits with his, like, long hair and whatever is going on. His Dave Grohl-like appearance. (laughs) So Felicia, like, kicks in the door. Yep. Like, so she's super strong. She busts in the door. She's wearing this, like, 
She's kinda. decked out. She has like studded necklace yeah, and she's like a studded necklace. She's got like a weird this, chain shirt. Yeah, she's got like a chainmail shirt. Like she's yeah. like super punk rock, which I actually kind of thought was awesome. Which yeah. makes sense. That's cool. Right. Uh, so she's there to to challenge Devereaux. Uh, but uh, although there was an interesting line that he or she says, she's like, "I'm here to finish what you started." Right. It's like, wait a minute. He started this because the flashback establishes that. She well, then his he family. says you have like your memories wrong. You're remembering this wrong. You yeah. started it, yeah, w- which is weird. Yeah, the whole thing's puzzling because we never get a window into what their actual feud is. Like no. it's clear that which, they. Why does there need to be a separate feud? Like maybe right. she was just there to hunt him, and like this is she killed his family. Like I don't know why they needed to introduce that there might be some deeper history that just the audience doesn't get to see. Yeah. Uh, so I looked this up in the watcher Chronicles to ah. see like, what, what they're talking about. So according to the watcher Chronicles, uh, Felice Martin was born in 1693 in Orleans, France. Uh, her first death was in 1714, which places her at like 21 years old. Also, which, not uh, even- <laughs> so, so uh, uh, again, Joan Jett is 34 at the time of the filming of this. So it says in 1714, this is her first death. She was raped and murdered. Oh my god! By a highwayman, and it's like holy shit. That's like really dark. That's very um, dark. And then the opening line of the Watcher Chronicle, which if we're to buy into like the fantasy of this whole thing, like the Watcher Chronicle is supposed to be written by an actual Watcher watching her. And so the opening line of her Chronicle is, "Look up bitch in the dictionary." And you're bound to see Felicia Martins. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So a watcher wrote that in ancient France? Exactly. Apparently. Um, So that's the the updated version. Uh, Okay. So it it, it goes on to clarify whatever their feud was. So it says she fell in love with Devereaux. And then she was rewarded by her dumping her for a pious mortal virgin with a huge dowry. Hmm. So according to the Watcher Chronicle, they used to be in love. She got dumped, and then he moved on. <laughs> and then oh. she murdered the family. <laughs> she murdered the whole family. Oh, boy. So in that context, I guess he does start it. No. Um, I mean, th- no, that, that seems like a doesn't. little bit of retcon. She seems bitter. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there are two things to talk about that are derived from this. First off, Devereaux apparently knows who the Highlander is. Yeah, she's, right. she mentions McLeod. That she's there for him, and he's like, whoa, like, him, he's here? Like, he's super famous. He says so, the Highlander, which, first of all, it's been established, there are two Highlanders. At this point, yeah, so I was wondering if he maybe thought it was Connor, or what the deal was. Yeah. Either way, the name, the term Highlander, like, has some cachet. So, like, maybe this explains why Duncan always says, I'm Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Like, hey, just so you know. Yeah, this you're is fucking you're with the with? Highlander. Yeah. Well, like, this is this is yeah, this is something I don't get about this show yet. It's like everybody seems to know about McLeod, the Highlander. He never seems to know about anyone. See, no. that's something that would have been cool though, because I always feel like when he introduces himself, there's this kind of like formalistic dueling aspect. But she I'm says always... I'm Felice Martin from Philadelphia. She says right. Yeah, but like she doesn't like give like a full introduction. I think it'd be interesting if everybody kind of had their tagline that Maybe... they said when it was like time to really right. scrap. Like this is. It does very much feel like. I mean, it definitely has become a bit of a tagline. I think, and I think maybe that's just you can just yeah. chalk it up to that. It's like, and maybe he's a I'm badass McCloud from the Clam Cloud. Yeah, is is the same as like bond james bond like right. he says it as like it's his calling card which i think just kind of works out as kind of like a badass thing for him to say yeah sure. but i'm surprised other immortals don't have similar calling cards slam the and cat? So, yeah, yeah like slam the cat but like slam the cat's a good <laughs> example like they all it may would make sense if they all had examples of this and that's how you knew that's how these immortals knew each other to the extent that they did 
it was by these calling cards that they throw around. I'm Devereaux. Maybe you know me from my music. (laughs) (laughs) But side note, just in the structure of this episode, doesn't it seem like Duncan should have killed Devereaux? He he should have defended Felice because he didn't know she was bad. Right. Like, and so he thinks he's doing the a good good guy job by being like, I'll protect you. You're new, and I'll fight the guy, and then he could have remorse about it. Yeah, like that would have been the interesting way for this to go because until you get that flashback, Dave Grohl Devereaux is just not a character. Really, he's just this force who like grunts and is muscular. It seems reasonable that if she he comes for Felicia, Duncan will step in on her behalf. Right. So we shouldn't get that flashback until after Duncan has already defended her. And maybe that's... The whole time I was thinking that was Felicia's plot. Like, she's being hunted by someone... Who's and stronger sh- than her. Who she doesn't think she can beat. So she's seeking refuge with Duncan, thinking that he can pull this one out. Congratulations. We've uh, once again written a better Highlander episode than this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a counterpoint to that I just say is maybe maybe she couldn't risk Duncan talking to Devereaux and blowing up her spot. Oh, and blowing her, her yeah. scoop. Yeah. Cuz Duncan's like enough where I feel like he'd listen if Devereaux said, you know, how could you side with this? That's true. Person. So I don't know, maybe that's that. a good point. Well, like, I don't give them that much credit, but maybe. Yeah, but like also up until the point where we get this flashback, you all you think is that Devereaux is some like killing machine. Right. Yeah. So right. maybe he doesn't give Duncan the chance. He's just sure. like, That's I'm true. here to kill this bitch. Like yeah. step aside. They fight. Duncan wins. And then maybe he gives I, I was waiting for Devereaux to give him some hint that doesn't make sense in the moment. Mm-hmm. But then later, combined with something else that Felicia says, he puts two and two together, and that's how he uncovers it. And then he has to deal with the fact that, like, he killed someone who wasn't necessarily evil. You know, he killed this man for no reason. Sounds like yeah. a good episode, man. Yeah, that does. <laughs> uh, so anyway, in this scene, then Felicia and Devro fight, mm-hmm. and Felicia wins, and she chops his head off on like uh, on his uh, on his bench press. <laughs> on his yeah. Bench press. <laughs> Um, and she gets the quickening. Also, I had a note here that we didn't talk about earlier uh, in the series, um, which is just the term quickening. Um, so the, qui- the term quickening is actually like a real word. So fun fact, it's actually the first moments when a mother feels the fetus oh, wow. like, moving inside her. And so huh. some people have said, like, this is the first kind of point of life, as it were. Um, so I think it's kind of an interesting term that they use. Anyway, so we go back to the antique store. Richie has a Leonardo da Vinci T-shirt on. He does. Oh, yeah, oh he's I want a Ventruvian man. I want. I wanted to mention that. So he's got the the da Vinci shirt on in uh, the episode "The Road Not Taken." He has ah. a whole conversation with Duncan about how he's like, "Oh, like have you checked out this da Vinci guy?" He's like, "He was building building flying machines before." Oh, that. right, right, right. Yeah, and he's like super into da Vinci. So I was like, "Oh, I wonder if like." One of the writers picked up on that and was like, "That's good." It's like I thought that was kind of cool. Give him a Da Vinci so he's shirt. Like, yeah, he's like a Da Vinci uh, fanboy. Felicia wants to make love to Richie mm-hmm. after this, so like she's like super Which turned on. She just has to say out loud. Yeah. Oh yeah. So she murders Devereaux, and then I guess has a case of the hornies, <laughs> <laughs> and and like meets up with Richie, and she's like, "Let's do it." And Which then it I cuts, don't think and I the... guess they fuck. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I assume it wasn't genuine. I think like so we're. We're supposed to understand at this point, because now it's not like a deception to save her from Devereaux. Her actual plan 
is that she's trying to do to them what she did to Devereaux and just, like, murder everybody. Right. So I guess she's trying to build trust for some reason. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. This is, like, her, her M.O. This is what she does yeah. to, like, I or guess stay as, alive. As she says later, it's my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, they end up training later. Duncan and Felice have another training montage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Duncan gives Felicia like some background on the, the sword he uses. Because she asks, I think rightfully so, like, well, if this sword is so special. Why don't you use it? Why don't you use it? And he's like, well, he's like, this, this sword, the one I use, the one with the dragon head, he's like we've had like a history together. He's like, we've survived 400 years. Uh, I don't know if that means necessarily together, but I think you can assume if it's not together, the sword's 400 years old. Right. And that it was given to him by another clansman, which mm-hmm. I again, presume means Connor. That's clearly the implication when you see this. Uh, but we, oh, sorry. Maybe not. I mean, yeah, maybe not. Uh, so I think in later episodes, they, they do have a, like a, a very focused episode on mm-hmm. like, Duncan's sword, which is really great. It's like, how did Duncan get his like, how, how did he get really, a I Japanese got... sword when he is from Scotland? Right. right. Uh, so they deal with that in a different way. So there's kind of a, a incongruity here. Like mm. uh, one of one of the commenters on Facebook actually brought up, I thought an interesting point that maybe Duncan's lying to her, and that's how you can kind of explain this away. So you can explain this two ways: either that it's just an error in writing, right, or, or that, they just retcon this later. Exactly, yeah. or they retcon it later, and or that. Uh, Duncan lies to her, which I guess is kind of a fun way to rationalize this scene in your head. Uh, I don't sure. think it necessarily makes a ton of sense because I don't know what the point of him lying to her about the that origins of be. his sword. Like, I don't yeah. know what advantages he really gets, but sure, uh, sure, he lies to her. Or yeah, whatever well, he obviously it. doesn't trust her completely. No. So Duncan gives her the sword to keep uh, at this point. Uh, so next we cut to uh, Richie and Tess, or Richie and Tess talking together. And Tess expresses how distrustful she is of Felice. Right. And Richie's like, no, like, everyone, like, hates on Felice. Like, I don't know why. Uh, so anyway, let's play this clip. Uh, Richie is really, I think, harsh to Tess. Yeah. Um, unrightfully so. He's being an asshole. Yeah, he's being a complete asshole. So here, let's take a listen to this. Duncan is hard-headed, but he's far from stupid. He doesn't trust Felicia. Massive eye roll. And I don't blame him. So this is trash Felicia week. Richie, I've never met a female immortal before. Okay, fine, I admit it. But I've known a hundred women just like her. She's gonna break my heart and leave me lonely. Tessa, I don't care. I don't buy that. I mean, I don't care what happens a month from now or a year from now. I've got time on my side. Not like you. Man, that Jesus. is so harsh. That's a burn. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Richie really slams Tess. For no reason. And he's like, I don't care. I can have fun. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's uncool. Uh, so, anyway, Duncan, at this point, he has taken the map down right. out of the antique store. And he's taken it to his friend Sam mm-hmm. to find out. Uh, and Sam good, old Sam. good old Sam. So Sam checks like the validity of this map. Duncan has paid $10,000 for this, but it turns out that it's a forgery. Right. Um, a very good forgery. But as Sam points out, the interesting thing is this is a forgery, but it was made like 200 years ago. Right. So this is the big clue to Duncan that if she does know about this, like 
Well, she's an immortal. Like, she she admitted to making it. Right. Right. She's like, yeah, I made that thing, and it's like, well, you made it two hundred years ago. So we cut to Felicia wanting to run off with Richie, and of course, right. Richie's still enamored with Felicia. Unsurprising in Felicia's purple suit that she's wearing. Uh, which outfit. she looks great in. <laughs> which they keep telling us. They keep telling you, boy, she looks great, doesn't she? <laughs> uh, so she wants to run off with Richie. Um, she wants Richie to go get some money she has stashed away in her apartment. Buried under a... F- or or tucked under a floorboard. Right. The thing she says to Richie is, I want to be with you till the day you die. And <laughs> that's a promise. And I'm like, no red flag, Richie? That's yeah. like one of the most ominous things you yeah. could say to somebody. She might as well be like clicking her fingernails <laughs> right. together. And going, twirling <laughs> twirling like her Mr. mustache. Burns. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, Richie agrees he's going to go find this money and meet her later on the beach. So then she's like, I'll say goodbye to Tess because, like, you shouldn't have to do that. It'll be too emotional. So she goes, and rather than just kill Tess, which is her plan the whole time. Just walk up and stab her. Just walk up and stab her in the back. Tess is in her studio working on some dumb sculpture. (laughs) (laughs) Because Tess's art is, eh, spoiler alert. Great. Not that that great when you see it. Uh, So anyway, instead of that, she, like, taps her on the shoulder. And she's like, oh, you scared me. And she's like, well, I just wanted to say goodbye. And she's like, I didn't know you were leaving. I wasn't. You are. And then she pulls out a knife. And it's like this whole, like, confrontation. Of course, Tess gets out her welding torch Mm -hmm. and, like, fends her off. Uh, and which Felice like divulges her entire plot to Tess. Yep. She's like says everything. She's like, "This is why I was here." She's like, "I was going <laughs> to trick you. I was going to kill everybody. Yep. And then I'm going to come from a cloud. It's my strategy. It's my strategy. So, <laughs> it always uh, has been. So since she, <laughs> this is the craziest. So since since she can't kill Tess because Tess has got a bunch of fire in her face, she's like, "Will you tell McCloud to meet me on the beach?" At whatever time, and like, or else Richie dies. I think that's right. the, that's that's the, the gist of it. Okay, so they then cut to Richie on the beach in his Batman and Robin leather yeah, coat. Exactly, he's very much looking like Chris O'Donnell yeah. in this scene. So yeah, just keeping keeping that thing rolling. Uh, yep. So I guess let's play this clip of Felice confronting him, and then Duncan intervening. Uh, Felicia, what? I, I didn't recognize you. What, what, what? Must be the outfit. I kind of like it. It's She's me. dressed in a punk rock outfit again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the outfit. Um, look, we got a problem. I, I took your bedroom apart. I-, I couldn't find the money anywhere. Get real, kid. You really think I'd hide money under the floorboards? I just needed to get you on this beach. My money's in Zurich. Zurich? Yeah, where all the old immortals keep their money. Cloud, what the hell are you doing here? How'd you figure that one out? The map. You just couldn't keep your mouth shut, could you? All right, there is so much to talk about here. My money's in Zurich. All right, so first thing. Queen? All right, oh, yeah, let's talk yeah, about that. The music budget in this episode was great. Yeah, because I... Because they had Cherry Bomb in the beginning and now an extra Queen song, so... Yeah, I, I love the fact that Queen is back in this. Uh, things I have a problem with in this this whole scenario is, first, I'm not entirely sure what Felisa's scheme is because she could have killed Duncan like eight times, and she didn't, and I don't know why. She could have at least tried. And, like, if her only plan was just to fucking fight him she like and just get him alone, she could have done that 
in any of those warehouse scenes. When they were training and she pretended to not know how to like even hold That's a sword, perfect opportunity. It's like she should have just fucking cut his head off. Like I don't understand really what the scheme is here. Because then she just brings him out for a fight. Like she uh, ultimately just challenges him to a duel. She doesn't yeah. k- take Richie hostage. No, and and also like her entire plan doesn't really work. Like she doesn't end up killing Tess. She doesn't kill Richie. Like she she hasn't made Duncan angry. And then when Duncan's like, "Oh, you keep your money in Zurich," like all the other mortals, like wait, what? First off, like <laughs> all the immortals, I guess, keep their money in Zurich. Okay, I'll buy that. But. She's like, how did you know? And he's like, the map. And in the context of this episode, no, not the map. The fact that you told Tess to tell him to meet me on the Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, So this is another structural problem with this episode. That right. Duncan should have figured this out, which would have been great. Like, yeah. He could have figured out, like, hey, this map thing doesn't add up. This other thing doesn't add up. Like, You're not who you say you are. I figured you out. Right. Now we fight. But she ruins that whole thing by just telling Tess point blank, I'm immortal, I want to fight Duncan, tell him to meet me here and we're going to fight. Like, it's like, so again, like, there's a lot of stuff in this episode that happens, like, that has, like, that whole map no meaning. The map, no meaning. The map thing, just like you said, didn't need to be in the episode. It didn't need to be in the episode because she ruins it by telling Tess. So right. they should have cut that or cut one or the other. Right. Um, so that, that kind of bothers me. This episode is just so... All over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then they proceed to fight on the beach, which is a pretty iconic kind of fight. I like the fight a lot. I kind of like... No. No? I like the notion that they're fighting with katanas on a beach. That part's great. Yeah, they're in the water. It's like rough and tough. Yeah, I but, like it. But then it goes gray, and yeah. it looks like a music video. Exactly. The yeah. whole time. It's I, just a music so video. So two things about that. I kind of like that it looks like a music video for two reasons. One, the Queen's playing. Don't Lose Your Head is on in the background. Yeah, Don't Lose yeah. Your Head, which is a great song. Sure. And then two, Joan Jett is obviously like a rock legend. And so this whole thing has this like MTV quality with the grain. like this, like this, It's like this bluish gray graininess to it. Uh, but the other thing I looked up, um, as far as like behind the scenes stuff goes, is that they filmed this overnight, and so this was a huge long shoot. So when they ended up filming the fight scene, it was like four, five o'clock in the morning, and the sun was coming up. So typically, ah. typically when you film, you say like, "Oh, we're losing light, like uh, because like the sun's going down, so you need to get your shots." In this sense, they're technically losing dark because the sun's coming up. So another part of me thinks like, while they did embrace this like music video quality. Did they also embrace this music video quality to hide the fact that if they cut this with no filters or anything, that there would be huge continuity errors between like light and dark, and like the lighting would be all over the place in this scene? So this was maybe a good way to hide it. That's maybe that's my theory. That's a that's a fair point. I thought <laughs> I thought they made it gray and like did this whole music video thing because something went wrong with this. That was my initial thought. Like which, this is weird. Is, which is your <laughs> like, theory. Yeah, like something's not right. Like they like I thought they did it for a reason. That I definitely wasn't think they do. Good. I mean, maybe Joan Jett wasn't great at choreography. I don't I, know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she seems fine. She does seem fine. I, okay. I don't think it's probably athletic, that. But yeah. I, mean, I I again like this fight. I like that they're in the water. I I don't know. I I like yeah. the quality of this. Well, I think it's like well edited together. Yeah. To make a decent fight scene out of it and then what is the maneuver that he beats her with oh i i could and on the subtitles they don't have it they oh. just say it just says like italian oh uh because i have the scripts i know what it is oh it's the passata soto oh uh, so which is a real 
That was cool. I really like oh, that. It's awesome. Like, yeah. And that, that ties it all together. I think like that Duncan defeats her with this thing because she's overly aggressive as a fighter and she's off right. balance. Um, so yeah, the Passata Soto is actually an Italian fencing technique um, that you use by like dropping to the floor essentially and attacking under their, their, their attack. Um, so, so I thought that was really cool that they incorporated a real fencing that is cool. terminology into this. So the ultimate maneuver in this, right, or like the, really the way this episode should have gone, is that Felicia actually does do something in an effort to try to upset Duncan. Like she actually makes a credible threat against Richie or Tess that would make an ordinary person lose their cool. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Duncan has already saved her, has already beaten Devereaux and like uncovered her scheme and he pulls the 180 somehow and like he knows something maybe from the quickening from like gaining his knowledge oh. he knows something about her that he's able to use to make her upset Wait, to, why does Duncan know this because he killed this is the ideal version of the episode oh okay i'm sorry that he kills Devereaux. And by doing so, he gains this knowledge about her, about their unrequited love interest, and he's able to use that to, calling back that lesson, make her overly aggressive, yeah. and then use this Italian fencing technique. That would be cool. That would it. be cool. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that's the ribbon on top of what this episode could have been. Like, even just with this, because otherwise, this, the inclusion of this maneuver feels a little random. Yeah, you're right. Another thing we should mention is during their fight, Duncan breaks the Matsumune sword. Which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess you're supposed to take from this that she's not conscious of her weapon. She has not made it like part of herself as Duncan is recommended. And so she uses it improperly. And by using it improperly, she ends up... She's the one that really breaks it, not Duncan by... Right. I don't know. Because she hits, a, at one point, a you know two-foot steel beam with it, and it doesn't break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, like, it's not like Duncan, like, shatters it or, like, takes some specific effort. He just puts his sword up, and in response, it breaks. Yeah. Like, there's really no reason it should do this. Yeah. I think, I think we're just supposed to take from this that she is, like, a careless fighter. Yeah. I was waiting for them to reveal either that the sword he bought was, again, a forgery... I thought that too. Or that he was hip to her scheme and gave her a lesser quality sword and passed it, tried to pass it off as this special thing. Yeah. I think those are interesting things to read into it. And we wouldn't know. Right. Yeah, there's no way to know. I I would be kind of cool with thinking that, like, yeah, he tricked her or something. But if he tricked her, they would have put a bow on it. Probably. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, Duncan ends up winning this fight. He stabs her. And he is going to take her head, but Richie puts a stop to it. He's like, Duncan, don't. like Right. And so Duncan abides by Richie's wishes, and he doesn't take her head. And yeah. He lets her go. For some reason, this baby drowner. <laughs> yeah, the lets... baby drowner. He lets the baby drowner go. <laughs> She's a pretty evil immortal to let loose in the game like, I'm, I'm willing to say she might be the most evil immortal we've encountered yeah yeah like maybe just in terms of the the competition is with kim sung just in terms of how evil you think enslaving another human is relative to murdering a baby like those are your stakes so <laughs> right. good luck sorting that out <laughs> uh so yeah he lets her go and they walk off and then the episode just ends with richie just being like I'm sorry, Duncan. Yeah. And then it fades to black in the credits roll. Yep. So it's a pretty, like, it ends up, it's a pretty downer of an ending. It is. 
Like Duncan seems really pissed yeah. about he the whole thing. Be. Yeah. I mean, if they played this again, I think Richie would say you should probably kill her. Richie's his feelings are too too his libido is in meltdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have to cut him a break. Uh but not cut off her head. Right. right. Uh so a couple things about this episode. Behind the scenes, there's an interview with Bill Panzer, uh the producer of the ep- uh, the, the show. Hmm. And he talks about rock and roll being a key part of Highlander because of Queen that like and, and that's also true like that's manifested in the villains like oh, I think Slans so. like, got the Slans got it uh, the Kurgan has like he's like this big punk rock punk rock and roll like he's this big force which is cool yeah no, I think I, that's great they wanted to carry this tradition forward into series and that's one of the reasons they cast Joan Jett as the villain and there's there's other rock people that are in the show spoiler alert Roger Daltrey hmm. uh, Rolling Gift uh, wow. From the Fine Young Cannibals, uh, <laughs> who's, one of, who's one of my favorite, actually, guest stars. He's actually, gr- he's great. He's but. fantastic. Um, but then he also, he, he gave a, a great behind-the-scenes kind of uh, tidbit about Joan Jett, that in Vancouver, they had, I guess, these, like, three or four, like, predetermined hotels that guest stars or whoever's coming in to do stuff for the show would stay in. And so, obviously, these were options for Miss Jett. And she was like, no, I don't, I don't want to stay in any of those. Like, I'll find a place when I get there. Um, so anyway, they get a call from her, and they end up meeting her in, like, this super seedy dive bar slash, like, motel. And he was like, oh, like, it's awesome. Like, she's rock and roll, like, through and through. Like, she did not want to stay, like, the Four Seasons or the Marriott or whatever. And that she picked this, like, real dive bar, and she just slept above it. Uh, so I thought that was a kind of a fun uh little behind-the-scenes thing. Um, That's pretty I mean, cool. That is super cool. I wish her performance was equal to how cool that was. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want to say, in case it wasn't made apparent by this episode, <laughs> Joan Jett is not very good in this role. No, as, it's really too bad. I, I love she's, Joan Jett. I think her sure. music's great. I think she's... Yeah, she's great. She is. But she's not an actress. No. Uh, I don't know if she's been in anything since this. I don't know exactly what her acting trajectory has been. If anyone knows... Let us know if you've seen her in other stuff. Um, I'd be kind of curious to see if this was maybe the beginning. I mean, she was like in her mid thirties, like yeah. had a, a really great rock career. If maybe like her manager was like, "Oh, you should get into like movies and TV," and like if this was a direction they wanted to take her in. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. She's she's not the best in this, sadly. Um, no. Although I think she's really good. Um, other things to talk about. Uh, I I went into depth in the Watcher Chronicles. So Duncan visits his friend Sam who verifies the map is a mm-hmm. forgery. So according to the Watcher Chronicles, um, he's a former professor at the Seacouver State University, <laughs> and he's a member of the Sherlock Holmes Society. Ah, Isn't that interesting? That is. But not a Watcher. No, he is They not just a have watcher. a chronicle on him because... Yeah. Actually, it would be great if he was a Watcher. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, although I guess he's getting involved with Duncan. Does he know Duncan's immortal? I don't think we ever get that. No, we don't get a... Certainly not from this episode. Mm. We don't get that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, and according to Watch Chronicles, Claude Devereaux... Oh, his first name is Claude. Mm. Um, he's a He was a court musician. Uh, he was born in 1761 in Paris. This is the only episode she's in. So Duncan's show of mercy here never yeah. comes back around. It's not like we get to see this character again. Yeah. So... It's too bad. Again, that's one of those things that these early episodes, I think, don't capture on is that 
it would be great to see Joan Jett appear. I, I mean, I think that would actually just make this episode, which is a for me, it's a really weak episode. Yeah, I mean, for the Earth, it's a really <laughs> weak episode. <laughs> that would make this episode so much better uh, if she just appeared again. Yeah, and I think that would give this episode a little more kind of like stock. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we should just totally talk about like this episode and the next three we're about to talk about are maybe some of the, for me, some of the worst episodes. They're rough. In this series. Uh, They're rough. Like, there's the first couple, which are, I think, good because they're establishing the world they live in, setting the groundwork right. for what the rest of the series is. And then these next four that we're dealing with, which is five, six, seven, and eight, are like, oh, we have like we have time to fill. What are we going to do? Yeah, there's a definite element of, like, fumbling. Yeah. Uh, so They're, I, they're TV tropey, like, they're kind of just, we're going to do an episode that's like Die Hard. We're going to do an episode that's like this. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in in the scheme of things, you could actually skip this episode. And I guess I'd recommend it. I mean, like, if you're a big fan of Joan Jett, watch it. Uh, or if you just have, like, a Friday to kill and you're just like, oh, let me watch, like, an episode of Highlander and you're breezing through these things, watch it. But, like, these aren't the best episodes at all. Like, I, this one's love, not I love this show so much and I hate this episode equally like this episode isn't good no it's but i mean there are certain elements of it that are fun it's fun to think about what this episode could have been oh totally and it's also fun to think about the notion that joan jett exists in the highlander universe that's a really good point can you go into that a little more kyle yeah so this that whole episode opens with richie doing his weird butt dance to cherry bomb of course by joan jett so somewhere out there in the Seacouver universe is the actual Joan Jett, not immortal. So, you know, let that keep you up at night. <laughs> maybe she is immortal and Joan Jett is a alias. Oh, maybe Felicia is actually the real Joan Jett. Maybe. And Joan Jett is Felice Martin. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, before we conclude this episode, we do want to get to some reader mail about this episode. Um, so make sure to send, if you have uh, insights onto these episodes, send them to HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com. That is the best place to send them. Um, it's kind of hard to compile everyone's comments from Facebook and SoundCloud and Twitter and all that sort of stuff. Um, so if you want your stuff read aloud to the masses, send them to HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com. Uh, so uh, one of the first comments is from DJ, and then he sa- he says these ep- these are those episodes you pray the first time Highlander watchers never see. Freefall is one that we try to ignore because it has the huge glaring error uh, dialogue that Duncan tells Joan Jett that he got his katana from a clansman. Now this dialogue is tricky and open to interpretation. This sword and I have existed for four hundred years, says Duncan. This doesn't necessarily mean together. In the episode The Samurai, which comes a couple of uh, seasons in the future, um, Haido Koto mentions the sword is a couple hundred years old. So it's possible that Duncan and the sword are the same age. Also, it's possible that Duncan viewed um, Haido as a clansman, but that's a stretch. The common understanding is that the writers initially intended for it to be given to him by Connor, but that could also be a holdover from the original plan that the series was supposed to be about Connor McLeod. Hmm. That, that's an interesting point. And yeah. I, I do totally agree. If this was my first episode of Highlander that I ever saw, I don't know if I'd be watching another one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit rough. It and is. it's also just, we've been having fun talking about it, but it's also just a bit boring. Yeah, it's not much not, really happens. It's, yeah, it's a clunker. Yeah, but the point about this sword is well taken. 
that they established a certain history for this sword in this episode, and they're not necessarily married to it later. So that's a very good comment. Thank you so much for writing in. Yeah, so I think that's all we have to say about this episode. I know we've talked a lot about this episode. I know personally, it took me almost like three hours to watch this episode while taking notes. Like, I was, I, I'm not a fan of this episode. There are so many weird things to talk about. We didn't even cover everything. Yeah. Uh, this is not a great example of what Highlander is and should be, I don't think. But... As we've demonstrated, I think there is a good episode buried in here. Very Some, deeply. deeply. It's very, very deeply. But yeah, thanks. It's, it's extra upsetting, just lost potential. Just There's yeah. a lot lost uh, on this one. But some of this potential is realized right, later in the series. Not for this episode, oh, but yeah. like these kinds of themes are picked up and ran with later in the series. So, yeah. so you know, stick with it if you saw this episode. And thank you for sticking with us during while we talk about this <laughs> whole mess of an episode. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's all we have to say about that. Um, if you're following us on iTunes, uh, or if you're not following us on iTunes, you should. Um, just go on the iTunes store, search us. Uh, make sure to leave us a review. That really helps uh, get the word out. Uh, tell your friends about us. Um, we're also on Stitcher, which is uh, an app used on like the Android platform if you want to follow us that way. Uh, like us on Facebook for all sorts of updates about the show. And we'd podcast. love to hear your comments on yeah. Facebook. And yeah, keep writing in with your comments. And we're going to read the stuff we don't talk about uh, on air, I guess. Um, so write to us at HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com. And that's, again, the best way to leave your comments for us. HighlanderRewatched.com. Nope. HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com. Uh, and follow us on Twitter um, and Instagram. And Eamon, you've got a lot of art out there. Uh, that's worth checking out, I think. What's your Instagram account and yeah. Twitter? Uh, Eamon B. Doc on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, so that's spelled E-A... Uh, yep, you, e- you spell it. Yeah, sure <laughs> thing. E-A-M-O-N-B-D-O-C. Uh, and I was on vacation, so you're going to see some vacation photos on there now. <laughs> Stay tuned for some art. Cool. Just remember, my money's in Zurich. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, signing off, uh, the Rewatchers. I'm Keith. Eamon. And Kyle. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. It's not playing. Cherry bomb. (laughs)